You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll pray together and then we'll jump into our study. So Psalm 29, I'll give you just a moment to get over there. If you're new to the Bible, the Psalms are kind of like right in the middle and then you work your way over to Psalm 29. And in verse one and two, our dear friend David writes, he says, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name and worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Well, Father, this morning it's been our privilege to already begin by offering you our praise and our worship. And Lord, it is such a great joy to worship together as a family of God, to hear the the voices of brothers and sisters lifted up together to exalt you and to thank you for all that you are and all that you do and all that you've done and all that you've promised yet to do for each of us. And so, Lord, we are here thankful for the opportunity to worship and to praise you. Lord, having done that, we pray now that you would have prepared our hearts and our minds to receive what you want to speak to us today. And, Lord, we ask that your word would be both an encouragement and an exhortation, Lord, to Cause us to be more cognizant, more mindful of who you are and the great strength and power which you wield and is available to us that we might learn to stand in this life as a bright and a shining witness for you. And so, Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you equip us? And would you send us forth a little later this morning ready to stand for you in these dark days? and to be a bright and a shining light to show the way that the lost might come to know you, Jesus. And so we commit all this to you, and we do so in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 29, if you're a note-taker, I have titled our study this morning, Safe in the Storm. And I have to tell you that one of our very favorite things, and by our, I mean my wife and my kids, one of our very favorite things about the time that we spent in Arkansas were the great, magnificent, and powerful thunderstorms that swept across <laughs> the land. The mighty wind that would literally just knock you off your feet. The black clouds would roll in. I remember one time watching Sean play baseball, and we were at a baseball stadium, bright, clear skies, and then saw a t- literally a tiny black dot on the horizon. And within 15 minutes, the whole sky was a boiling mass of black clouds and lightning. And then lightning struck the scoreboard. All the kids hit the ground and the parents ran and picked up their kids and off we went. I mean, it can happen just like that. I remember the rain and the hail. And when I talk about rain, if you've never been in the South, you don't understand what rain is. No, here in California, we'll have, we'll have rain every once in a while. But no, I mean, in, there in the South, you, you, there is no such thing as a windshield wiper that can go fast enough. You literally just have to get off the highway because you cannot see the rain is coming down in such buckets. And then the hail. Now, I'm not talking about the little pearls of hail that sometimes fall from the sky. No, I'm talking about chunks of ice. It'll dent your car and break your windshield. 
And then the awesome display of lightning. Oh, I know we have lightning here. I, Zach showed me a videotape that took last Sunday of the, of the mountains just to the west of us and, and, and two lightning strikes that happened within about 30 seconds of each other. But I'm going to show you a slide right now of what lightning looks like in Arkansas. Right, here we go. Right? Boom. <laughs> okay. So that's a one-minute exposure taken by a photographer for one of the news services in Arkansas in Bella Vista. Now, it's just one point. In other words, it's not the entire horizon. It's not the storm all around you. It's just one little section of the sky in 60 seconds. I mean, the storms there are amazing. And you can go ahead and take that down. Here's my point. You cannot ignore a storm like that. It is both awesome and it's beautiful. And it reminds me as we get into Psalm 29 of what David was reminded of as he penned this psalm, and that is the awesome power and the beauty of God. And we're reminded when we see a storm like that that God is not only the creator, but he is also the power behind all power in the universe, including the power of nature demonstrated in a storm. And when it suits his purpose... He can display his power in the mighty storms that sweep across our planet. Well, here in Psalm 29, David uses the description of an awesome, powerful storm that he saw moving from the Mediterranean Sea into land and crashing into the the cedars of Lebanon to remind us just how awesome, how powerful, how beautiful the God is that we serve. And the application that I'm looking for this morning for you and I is that while storms can certainly be very frightening, and I mean that both physically, a storm like a thunderstorm, but also allegorically or metaphorically, that is the storms of life, while they can be frightening, David reminds us that even in the fiercest storms, that God's throne remains unmoved, and that the storms of life will pass, but God remains And that all of us who have built our lives upon the rock of Christ Jesus and walk in obedience to him will not be shaken by these storms, but we will stand. I think this psalm is also a great exhortation and a reminder that sometimes you and I as God's children and those who are lost need a good storm to pass through our lives to either remind us of how awesome the God is that we serve or for the lost to remind them that they are very small in this universe and they need to know the true and the living God and to be reminded that he is in control of every storm that blows through our lives. And I believe that David's description of God in this psalm will be an encouragement as he reminds each and every one of us this morning that as we walk with God, We are safe in the midst of the storm and our future is secure because our hope is anchored to that unmovable rock, which is Christ Jesus. So look with me again at those first two verses. And if you're a note taker, I would say that these two verses, at least in my notes, I've titled Praise Before the Storm. Look at verse one and two again. David writes, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. And if you're a note taker and like to highlight in your Bible, you might underline or highlight that term, that phrase, mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. So you can kind of picture in your mind King David seated somewhere in the northern part of Israel, looking out over the ocean the Mediterranean Sea, and he sees a storm begin to broil and begin to lightning and thunder and all that, and then start to roll in toward the coast. And with the approaching of the storm, David here calls the angels of heaven 
to give glory to the Lord, to praise the Lord. Now, in the New King James, it's not as obvious because there in verse one it says, O you mighty ones. But if you look at the Hebrew text, literally that should be translated mighty ones or sons of the mighty. And it's an idiom in Hebrew for the angels of God. And some of you may be reading out of the ESV or NLT or the Holman or NIV where they do translate it either as beings of heaven or literally angels. And the point is that David now calls the angels of God three times in these two verses to give unto the Lord, which literally means to ascribe to him. And again, what are they ascribing? His might, his power, his strength, his beauty as revealed in the storm. That is, David, in view of the approaching storm, calls the angels of God to recognize his awesome power and to praise him for his strength as demonstrated in the storm. And so we stop there just for a moment and look for application in our own lives. And the reminder is that we too ought to praise the Lord even before the storms hit. That is, if the angels of heaven are called on to praise the Lord when the storm is still on the horizon, how much more should you and I, living on earth, that endured these storms that passed through our life, praise the Lord as we see it on the horizon. And the point is this, that as long as we dwell on this fallen planet, there will always be a storm on the horizon. Let me say that again. As long as we dwell on this planet, until the Lord returns, there will always be a storm on the horizon. And it might be the first hint that you or a loved one may have a terminal illness It might be the rumors that you're hearing at your place of employment that that place is about to shut down and with that shutdown, a loss of job and income for you and your family. It might be just watching the nightly news, which I would recommend that you don't do. I mean, if you have a weak heart or angina, I would just say steer clear of the news altogether and focus on the, the word of God. But the point is this, Whenever a storm sits on the horizon, David tells us that we, like the angels of God in heaven, should look in wonder and awesome at the power of God as demonstrated in the storm and lift our voices to praise him. And my point is this, that we have an opportunity to choose how we respond to a storm that's blowing into our lives. Again, whether it's a literal storm, a thunderstorm with lightning and wind and rain, or figuratively speaking, the crises that come into our lives. And let me illustrate it this way. When my family and I first moved to Arkansas, uh, of course, Cindy and I raised and born and raised here in California, our kids raised in California, we didn't really understand what a true thunderstorm is like. Oh, we had seen storms as we grew up in Santa Barbara and then later here in, in Modesto in the Bay Area, but nothing prepared us for what we were about to experience in Arkansas. And I still remember the first thunderstorm that hit. We had just moved to Arkansas in 1994. We were living in a little community, uh, community called Johnson, which is famous only for the fact that it is a speed trap. <laughs> just north of the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, just south of, uh, of Springdale and, and uh, Bentonville. And it's this tiny little cute community. It had the cutest little post office, a place you'd think you'd want to drive through, but I encourage you, don't do it. The police there in Johnson, Arkansas, drive the latest model, the most sophisticated police cars in the entire state of Arkansas because their coffers are continually being funded by those who drive through and get stopped. 
because you pull off the bypass, that's, the, that's what they call the freeway in Arkansas, and you come off, the, you know, off the, the, the bypass at 70 miles an hour, and you pull onto the, to the street, and all of a sudden there's a sign that says 45, so whoa, 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 whoa. So you're dropping it down from 70 to 45, and 30 feet later, it's 35, and then 25, and there's a policeman with a radar gun. Boom, you're done, every time. But the point is, there in Johnson, Arkansas, we, were, we had only been there a couple months, and we had our first thunderstorm blow through. And we were all sound asleep, and then we were boom, awoken by the crash of the loudest thunder I'd ever heard in my life. Literally, our, our duplex began to shake. And then the lightning. Now, it doesn't, it's not like boom, boom. No, I mean, it is like Baghdad during the Gulf War. Like lightning, like just coming. So we are all flying into the hallway, closing the doors, the only place in the whole, you know, the whole duplex with no windows. And then we are weeping and cowering and crying on the floor. Dear God, why did you call us to Arkansas? Literally the roof and the foundation shaking in the little duplex we're in. And the sounds, oh my goodness. I learned on that night what John describes in the Revelation where he talks about the voices with the thunder and the lightning. <laughs> oh, the voices. What that is is the echo. You have the thunderclap, and then is that, that sound, that rip of the atmosphere begins to echo off the mountains. Boom, boom. That's the voices that John describes. Well, I didn't know what that was until that first thunderstorm in Arkansas, and I was crying like a baby. Oh, dear God, get us out of it. But interestingly enough, after we survived that storm, we learn to enjoy the awesome display that God put on when he would bring a thunderstorm through Arkansas. Later on, we would gather on the porch, pop some popcorn, and like we were watching the 4th of July, just watch the storm come in, you know, and just the lightning go, ooh, ah, right? I mean, it's like amazing. And the only difference between our response to that first thunderstorm and what we later, how we later responded was our perspective. That is, as we lived in Arkansas, we learned that when a storm came in, the, we learned the channel that you turn to to find out if there's any rotation in the cloud, right? If there's a tornado on the ground. In other words, if we need to seek shelter or if we can go on the porch and just enjoy the show. And the point is that just as we had a new perspective and could enjoy those thunderstorms, David is reminding us that our perspective is important as we face the storms in life. That is, if we know who's in control of the storms that come through our life, we have nothing to fear. And so anxiety, right, is replaced with anticipation. Ooh, ah, look what God's doing, right? Fear with faith. And so it's all a matter of perspective. And the point is that David is telling us that the next time you see a storm roll through your life, the next time I see a storm come into my life, Sitting on the horizon, we might be tempted to fear. No, David calls us to praise the Lord for his strength, knowing that he is in control of all of the storms that pass through our life. To give him glory, understanding that whatever is coming into our life, that God will work it for good because we love him and we know him and we walk with him and we have that promise. And that even in the darkness and the thunder and the lightning, that we can see the beauty of his holiness in the midst of all that. And so David reminds us that we serve an awesome God who is more powerful than the storms that sweep into our life. Well, speaking of the power of the storm, that's the next point. So we move from praise before the storm. Are you ready for this? You're going to be excited because I got another P for you. Power in the storm. 
Come on, you're not excited? Praise, power, okay. Oh, I know. I'm an idiot. Okay, verse three to nine. As we're going through these, you might highlight or underline in your Bible every time David says the voice of the Lord because he repeats it. Look at verse three. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. So you can imagine now David seeing the, this storm out over the Mediterranean and the thunder begins, right? And the echoes, boom, boom, off the, off the ocean. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory or excuse me, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters, so David sees the presence of God in the storm. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar. So now the storm, you can, in your mind's eye, see the storm has moved off of the ocean, and now it's hitting that Lebanon coast where those beautiful, massive cedars are, and David describes it, breaking the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. What David is describing very poetically there is he's watching the storm, the wind comes in and it's so powerful, these gusts of wind from the storm, that these massive trees begin to sway in the wind and they look like little calves skipping in the field or a young ox, you know, dancing through the meadows. And then he says in verse seven, the voice of the Lord defies the flames of fire. Speaking of that lightning, how it comes out one time as a single bolt and then splits into many fingers of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And then notice in his temple, everyone says, glory. So you can, again, kind of put yourself in David's sandals as he watched this awesome storm move from the sea and begin to sweep across the land. And he tells us that it literally shook the mountains. And again, I've experienced that where the thunders clap is so loud that it literally shakes the ground that you're standing on. He tells us that it broke the massive cedars with a single lightning bolt stripped the trees bare of their leaves, and he even caused animals to prematurely give birth to their young. And notice that he attributes it in these verses, the rise and the power of the storm as it moves from the sea and into the land to the voice of the Lord. Seven times, he says in these few verses, seven times it's the voice of the Lord. Now we understand as Bible students that that, that when he uses the word voice there, the voice of the Lord, he's using it in a poetic sense to describe the sound of the thunder. But I believe he also means to convey the truth that he who created the universe by his voice still controls what he created by the same voice and that he can command the lightning to strike, the wind to blow, the hail to fall. In that sense, it reminds me of Elijah, 1 Kings 18, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Where we have this little kind of okay corral scene. You can kind of imagine you got the prophets of Baal on one side, the bad guys, And then the single lone good guy, you know, got Elijah the prophet. And oh, you know the story, you understand the context. The children of Israel were worshiping the false gods of the Sidonians, specifically the god Baal, who they claimed was the storm god who brought the rain, who who, who brought, uh, you know, uh, the rain to the fields that would produce the crops and all of that. And so they believed that he was responsible for the rain, the wind, the thunder, and the lightning. But Elijah knew that there is only one God who by his voice and at his command controls the storm. And so he issues forth this 
challenge to the prophets of Baal. I quote for you, here's what he says. He says, you call in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, listen, who answers by fire. He is God. In other words, the God that answers by fire, and most Bible students will tell you that what's being communicated is the God of the storm, whoever gives lightning, fire, that's the God who really is in control. Is it the storm God of the Sidonians, Baal, or is it the God of Israel, Yahweh by his name? In other words, Elijah understood that God doesn't need words for his voice to be heard. He can just as easily speak with the demonstration of fire, or in this case, lightning. And I think that's what David has in view here in verse 7. Look again. It says, the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. And again, you can picture God giving the command for lightning to strike, and a single bolt then splits into multiple fires that touch the ground. In other words, both David and Elijah understood that God can express his voice in the thunder and the lightning that is in the storm. It's at his command that lightning flashes forth, the winds blow, and the rain beats upon the earth. But not only can God cause a storm, God can calm a storm. And I think in the New Testament, how Jesus demonstrates this same truth, that at his voice, he has power over the elements and over the storm. We remember how it was that Jesus with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee asleep in the boat and a storm rose up. This time we understand the storm not from God but from the enemy in an attempt to destroy Jesus and the disciples wake Jesus from his sleep believing that they're all about to perish. And Jesus with a word, speaks a word and calms the wind and the rain and the sea. And David and the children of Israel on Mount Carmel and Elijah and the disciples who witnessed the voice of the Lord to either cause the storm or to calm the storm, they cry out, who can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? And the point is that in each of the examples above, we see the awesome display of God's power in the storm. Whether, again, it's, it, he's the cause of the storm or the one who calms the storm, it ought to bring us to worship him. Again, whether it's the Hebrews gathered on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 or the disciples as recorded in the Gospels with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, or look at what David says in verse 9, and in his temple, everyone says, glory. Now, of course, during David's time, the temple had not yet been built. It was just still the tabernacle, the tent in Jerusalem. So we believe that when he communicates in his temple, everyone says holy that he's thinking of the temple of God in heaven, of which that tabernacle, the tent, was just a model of. In other words, he's calling all of the angels in heaven to do what the Hebrews did on Mount Carmel, said, Yahweh is the Lord God. Or the disciples, who is this? that with his voice calms the sea and the wind. That brings the application, and what about you? What about me? Do we praise the Lord when we see a storm on the horizon? Well, I wish I could tell you that I'm a great man of faith. After all, I am teaching this morning. You would assume, <laughs> with the title pastor, that I would be such a, a great man of faith, but the reality is that like some of you, I often complain about the weather rather than praising the Lord when I see a storm or a crisis of life on the horizon. But David here challenges to see the storms of life as an opportunity, 
Not to complain, not to be afraid, but instead to acknowledge the power of God to see us safely through the storm and to give us the strength to stand in the midst of the storm and to lift our voices and to offer our praise, even if it means a sacrifice of praise, as we read in Hebrews 13, verse 15. And that would include the storms of life, like a pandemic or raging wildfires. I read last night that we're out now over 500 fires burning in the state of California. Storms of life, like like the loss of work, a broken economy, a broken relationship, or even the death of a loved one. David reminds us that our God is big enough not only to cause the storm, but to calm the storm that would threaten our faith. We're reminded that his power is greater than the power of the storm, that he possesses all power, and that he is sometimes going to exercise his wisdom and allow us rather than to experience a calmness to allow us to go through the storm because he's teaching us something about his power, his glory, and his holiness. Which brings us to our third point. And I know you're going to be excited because we had praise before the storm, power in the storm. Now, uh, be ready. Peace after the storm. I know. Come on. Yeah. I probably stole it from somebody. (laughs) Anyway, peace after the storm, verse 10 and 11. I'm always excited when I can work it out and articulate it like that. Verse 10, the Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with praise, or excuse me, with peace. So peace after the storm. Here, David reminds us that even during the greatest storm in the history of the world, notice verse 10, the flood, in other words, in view is the flood of Noah in which the entire world was covered with water. The entire world was wiped out with the exception of Noah and his family. And he reminds us that even in the worst flood in the history of the world, that God was still in control and was able to see his people, Noah and his family, safely through that storm. Additionally, it tells us that once the rain had ceased to fall and the thunder to roar and the lightning to strike, that there was always peace and quiet that followed the deafening sounds of the thunderstorm. In other words, he reminds us that there is an end to the storms of life, that they do not last forever. Whether it's the flood in Noah's time or the flood that inspired David to pen this psalm, or the crises that come into our life, they are not destined to last. Rather, they will pass, and peace will follow. And a rainbow, the promise of better days ahead for God's people. Notice there in verse 11, that in addition to the promise of peace, God also promises the power to stand in the storm. Verse 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. In other words, that demonstration of God's power as seen in the storm is also meant to be an encouragement to you and I. Because the same power that God uses to raise the storm is available to each and every one of us because he indwells us that we might then have boldness and peace and confidence to endure whatever storm comes into our life. Confident that by his power, 
we can stand on the solid rock of Christ in the face of any and every storm that will blow into our lives. Well, I don't think we have to spend much time talking about it, but I would say that 2020 has certainly been quite a storm. <laughs> I mean, if you haven't been sick, aren't currently sick, haven't lost your job, haven't you know, experienced the, so much of what's going on in the world today, personally, all of our lives have been touched in some way and changed as a result of what's going on around this planet. You just can't get away from the thunder and the noise of the storm that 2020 is. But David reminds us that the Lord's throne is unmoved. Verse 10, unmoved during the greatest flood of the history of the world. Unmoved by the violent upheavals that we experience on earth, whether in the natural realm or whether in society or whether in our personal life. Whether it be a wildfire or fires, plural. Division that we see in our society and around the world. Division we see even in the church universal where, where you find Christians at odds with one another over all sorts of things that seem so insignificant, but there, there just seems to be a, an anger and a stirring up in people's hearts. The illnesses, the angry voices, the senseless violence, the contentions surrounding our upcoming elections. And we're reminded that God is sovereign and his power remains undisturbed, unmolested by the troubles of our world. And David reminds us that in all the storms of life that it pleases God not only to give us peace, but give us strength to stand in difficult times. And my encouragement this morning is this, that 2020 is an opportunity not to cower in fear, not to be anxious about the future, but as we stand on the solid rock that is Christ to be a witness to the lost in the world that we have something they don't have. I appeal to the, the, the story of Jesus there in the Gospels where he says that those who do his word are like they who built their house on the rock and the storm came and the storm beat, but the house stood. It was not, it was not destroyed because it was built on the rock. Contrast to those people who may have heard the word but don't do the word, their house is built on sand, and when the storm comes, and the thunder rages, and the lightning strikes, their house is destroyed. But we're reminded by obedience to his word, doing what Christ has called us to do, that we will be unshaken by the storms in life. And in a world that is being shaken, in a world that seems to, to be just as as, as Jesus described in the last days perplexity among nations, not able to figure out and solve the problems that face us in our economy and a pandemic and, and trade and alliances. And it, it's just a complete mess that God has given us the strength to stand unmoved, unafraid, confident in God's power to get us not only through this storm, but every storm that will come until he calls the church to be with him at the rapture. We're called to be a witness to this world. And I know for me, this is a challenge because again, I, I so quickly, when I see a, a storm on the horizon of my life, I'm so quick to complain. Woe is me. <laughs> Why do I have to endure another trial, another storm, another whatever? Why do I have to go through this? Rather than seeing it as an opportunity like David did to rejoice and to praise God in the demonstration of his power and his majesty and his beauty and to stand firm 
confident that God is going to either bring a calm to that storm or strengthen me to stand as a witness for Christ in these difficult days. Listen, the world is desperate for answers, and they're not hearing them from politicians. They're not hearing them in technology or in the employment record. They're not finding peace anywhere, and they can find it only in Christ Jesus. And so we have an opportunity as believers to to be that beacon of hope, to be that beacon of light, but it requires us to walk in obedience to the word of God, and doing so, then we will stand and we have strength to endure that storm. And I think God will use this powerfully. In fact, I'm already seeing it. We really, literally at the beginning of this whole, this whole mess, we had a gentleman show up at the church. I received a call from Pastor Tom, said, hey, there is a guy in a really, really desperate situation. Would you come down and pray with him? So I did. Came down and talked to him, heard his story, and it was a story of woe. And literally, somebody had told him, he had gone to, to one of his you know, meetings to try to find hope and help. And they said, listen, the only, the only place you're going to find hope is at 4300 American Avenue. You need to go down there and have somebody pray with you. They literally gave him a piece of paper with our address, sent him here a complete wreck. He had tried everything, Judaism, Mormonism, alcohol, drugs, all of it. Nothing worked. He came here. We prayed with him. He was born again. And he was here for a service, and he said, Woo, the Lord is the Lord is good, man. <laughs> the Lord is giving me strength to stand through this difficult trial that he's in. But it's not just him. We're seeing that around the world. God can use these events as opportunities to increase his kingdom. And so as I close in prayer, I would just invite you, if you, like me, typically get all worked up and anxious when you see something, even a little cloud on the horizon. I want to pray with you, and you could pray for me that God would give us strength to look at that and say, another opportunity, and to be excited about what God's going to do in and through our lives. If you're already in a place like David, bold and strong, you know, standing firm on the rock, well, I just want to pray that God would continue to pour his fuel on that fire and use you and continue to use you as a great witness for him in these last days. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we thank you for this psalm that David was inspired to pen. Lord, we find such great comfort in it because we're reminded that when we see the lightning, when we hear the thunder, when we feel the wind and the rain upon our face, that Lord, all of it is a reminder that you are the great power in the universe, that all power belongs to you and you can use any and every storm for your purpose and plans. Lord, I want to pray for those like me who tend to be anxious when they see a cloud on the horizon of their lives. Lord, who panic and begin to to think, woe is me, and and to be afraid. Father, would you impart into our lives boldness and strength today? Like the disciples in Acts 4, Father, we pray that you give us boldness to speak your word with clarity, with power, with authority to the lost in the world today. Would you give us hope and strength to know you and to have a fresh perspective that we can be confident in the face of any and all storms because we stand in Christ Jesus, our unmovable rock. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters who already are safe and secure standing in that confidence, Lord, would you just continue to to pour out your spirit in their lives and use them powerfully in their place of work, at the market, 
Lord, in their neighborhood to be a witness for you in the midst of these storms. Lord, make the church, Calvary Modesto, and your people across the world, your church universal, a bright and a shining light in the midst of a dark storm. And Lord, would you use us to bring people into the kingdom of God before you call the church home. Lord, bring about a great revival, and would you use us as we walk in obedience to you? And so, Lord, we thank you for the strength that you've promised, the peace that you've promised. We apprehend it now by faith in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Paul Lester. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Paul's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.